And now, an Envision Financial podcast with Luke Smith on Canberra's 2CC. To talk about the dollars and cents, the bloke with the dollars who always makes sense is Luke Smith at Envision Financial. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, mate. How are we? Super good for a Friday afternoon, looking ahead to a, another wonderful weekend. And, of course, uh, lockdown easing, which means we can sort of do a few more things, which is also very good. But today we're talking about borrowing money and what's the best way to go about it. So there's a lot of things to consider, aren't, uh, aren't there? Yeah, look, exactly right. I think it's quite topical at the moment because everybody seems to be on a buying and borrowing frenzy and this fear of missing out is coursing through our veins because we've got to buy the house of our dreams at any price while interest rates are low because if we miss out, heavens forbid our partners will get all upset and emotional because we didn't win at auction. So let's gear ourselves to the eyeballs and push prices through the roof like we've seen. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that we're talking about this now because the uh, prudential uh, authorities have actually changed the borrowing rules and made it a little more difficult uh, in the last uh, little while. Uh, So what they've required now is for people to be judged by the financial institution on their ability to repay if interest rates go up by 3% which is more than the margin used to be. It used to be 2.5%. Uh, the effect of that means people can basically borrow less, um, but that's a bit of a frustration for people, isn't it? Yeah, look, I think there's always going to be people that are affected by these types of broad policy changes. Uh, I think people need to keep in mind that legislation is not designed to discriminate against them personally. It's about the greater good of the banking system. And if we don't do something... The Australian love affair of being indebted in property could come unraveled very, very quickly because we generally look at things from a best case scenario. It'll always be all right. She'll be right, mate. And sometimes it won't be. And a a quick rate rise um, could put a lot of people under financial strain um, because their ability to to pay things off and build up a surplus or a buffer is is difficult because living costs have gone up and Mm. the level of money that you have to borrow now to get into a market has increased through price appreciation. So a larger proportion of people's household income will be going to servicing debt. And I think it's a very prudent step, and I think there'll be people that won't like it, but if it's the difference between you keeping or losing your home in the next five to ten years, I don't think it's a bad thing. Yeah, fair enough too. And, of course, uh, ultimately what it means, I guess, is that uh, you may need to save a little more for your deposit so uh, you can Mm. still get the house that you want to get. Now, having done that, having saved up your deposit and you're ready to go ahead and try and organise your finances, there's a lot of things to think about, aren't there? Fixed or variable, interest only or principal and interest and so forth and so on. So where do you start? Mm. Well, I guess the important thing is for people to sit down with a broker um, especially, and, and try and find the deal that's right for them. We, we get bombarded on the telly with rates and offers and all sorts of other things, but we may or may not be able to apply for them. They may or may not be relevant for us, and we may or may not be able to take advantage of them. So I'd, I'd recommend that people get a broker because the angst, the paperwork, and all of the things that need to be pulled together, especially if you're self-employed, is quite onerous, um, and a broker can make that process a lot easier and a lot simpler so you can keep doing your normal job and, and, and push this down the road. But I'd be thinking about the time frame with which we're going to borrow and what is the borrowing that we're actually undertaking. Is it for a primary residence? Is it for an investment? Is it a lifestyle asset? Are we going to use it? Are we going to rent it? So have an understanding of what the purpose of the asset will be because it may or may not be tax deductible depending on what you're going to do with it. 
So understand what the tax deductions are going to be and you can generally liaise with an advisor or your accountant on what can and cannot be claimed as a tax deduction. I think about rates going up and as I say to tie in with what you've said about the change in legislation, if you put one or two percent on top of the current interest rate, you're building in some cash flow protection and you know that if rates do rise in the future, you're not going to be underwater because you've got your money committed to a range of other areas. So think about what the cost of the loan would be from the bank now, but also then factor in, okay, if I can borrow at two and a half, what does it look like at four or four and a half? Now, people argue that's an extreme example, but rates will not stay where they are forever and they will at some point start to move and it'll be the speed of the move that occurs that will catch people out and force them to redirect discretionary spending to additional interest payments and that can start affecting people's lifestyle. So factor in that buffer, I think it's prudent and it makes a lot of sense. Think about how the loan will be structured. Am I going to take out a principal and interest loan which will require a higher ongoing monthly payment or am I going to take out an interest only loan with an offset account which will result in the amount you pay back to the bank only being calculated on the amount that's outstanding without a principal repayment. Now, we have discussions with the clients about this all the time and they, they hear the words interest only and they start to sweat and the hands start shaking and they say to me, but I want to pay it off. And yes, you can with an interest only loan where you have an offset account tied to that liability. And an example is, I've borrowed a million dollars. The bank wants 30000 a year in interest payments at 3%, but you can save $60,000 of your money into the offset account. So you've covered your interest cost and you've paid down $30,000 of your million dollar loan. Any money that sits in the offset account that's tied to that loan is the equivalent of a loan repayment. And the nice thing about an offset account is you still have access to that money so that if the washing machine at home blows up, one of the kids needs braces, or you want to make a deductible super contribution and don't have any cash lying around, there are some sources to give you some backup without impacting the amount of money that the bank takes on a fortnightly or monthly basis. So don't start sweating when you hear the words interest only because used correctly with the right structures around it, it can be a very effective way to help minimise your outgoing interest expenses on the loan. That's interesting because uh, I was one of the questions I was going to ask is, would you be better off if you've got additional money that you have spare would you be better off to put that into paying off the loan more quickly or would you be better off putting it into an offset account? Well, you achieve effectively the same outcome. So anything that sits in the offset account is effectively a loan repayment and the bank in that interest-only example from before, if you owe a million dollars and have 50000 in the offset, then they'll only calculate the interest on 950 outstanding. So where you can save quickly and amass a lot of money in the offset account it can be advantageous to consider interest only because, as we said, as the amount that you owe falls, so does the interest cost in real time. So for those that can save very quickly, interest only is very good. Um, for those that maybe are scared of having access to funds and they want a, a, a principal payment to come out along the journey, if you're going to hold something for the next 10 or 15, 20 years, or you're buying your primary residence, it's, it's getting a lot harder to buy a home interest only, as I understand it from the brokers that I talk to. Yeah. Um, principal and interest will be applied in that situation. So, again, you need to tie it back to what are we doing? 
The other thing I would start to consider thinking about as well is, do I fix or not fix? The perennial question. Um, are rates as low as they could ever go? Um, and the answer to that really is, what do you need and how does it make you feel in your stomach? And, and, and what I mean by that is, if you can fix a part of your loan and know that for the next two, three, five years, you have a fixed expense and that lets you sleep at night and you feel good about that, then fixing a portion of the loan may be appropriate. If you're not overly fast and you've got the cash flow to weather a rate rise at any pace, then having all of the loan variable may be appropriate. Again, that should be considered in your capacity to save. If you've got the ability to pay it down quickly, you don't want to fix the loan because there's generally a very small buffer in relation to how much more you can throw at a fixed loan, 10, 20,000 between providers, depending on who you're with. So you might have a hybrid model and say, well, I owe a million. I reckon in the next five years, I could save 400 grand. So I'll fix half a million of that loan. I'll have 500 variable and I'll fill up the offset account on the variable side, knowing that you have the security of a rate that you find attractive locked in for five years, regardless of what happens in the future. And it's really, it's not about trying to find an arbitrage on rate. It's ultimately just comes down to saying, does it give me some peace of mind and some continuity with my cash flow if I fix for a period of time? So that's what people should be thinking about, whether they fix or don't fix. Yeah. Now, when you're buying an investment property, you might have, or even, even the residential property, I guess, but you might have uh, some options in terms of uh, how you structure that purchase, whether you buy it in your personal name, whether you buy it mm-hmm. as uh, as you and your partner together, whether you buy it as a family trust, or even if you've got one, a company, company structure. Yes, that's exactly right. And Again, you need to speak with the lender that your broker has put you with, or this is another example of where a broker can add real value. Some banks will not let you have an offset account in a family trust, for example. Others will. So have have this done. Get the homework done in the background because you can go all the way down the road with ANZ, for example, and they may not offer an offset account if an asset is owned through a family trust where, say, NAB may or vice versa. It's about understanding the parameters of the bank you're dealing with and what they're prepared to offer and the terms that they're going to give you. So that, for me, is a great example of where a broker can add some real value because there's nothing more frustrating than going through the blood, sweat and tears of getting all the paperwork in to get this loan approved to buy something that you love and there's, there's lots of enthusiasm and, and, and everybody's hyped up about it only to get to the end of the process and, and right at the end someone says, oh, but you can't have an offset account and you've just spent weeks and weeks pulling the paperwork together. So understand where you're going to buy it and what the rules are in relation to the loans that you can have. Um, think about the implications of selling the asset. So we often see 99%, 1% where one partner has a higher income and they could do with a, a tax deduction. But when they go to sell that asset, they've then got 99% of the capital gain in their name, which could be a bigger problem down the road. So think with the end in mind and come back to your why. Why am I buying this thing? Is it a capital punt? I'm hoping that I can ride the hype and make some money. Is it a lifestyle asset for the kids? Are we going to rent it? Are we going to use it down the coast? Are we going to put a family member in it and pay their the, the mortgage for them? Understand how you're going to structure your loan and why you're holding the asset so that you can get it in the right entity to give you tax benefits along the journey as well as at the end when you go to wrap everything up. You don't want to find out that 
99% of the capital gain from a great asset that you've bought then gets smashed into somebody's taxable income and, and it's very advantageous to be able to split it out and try and you know dilute the tax liability um, where possible by thinking about the end, not just what happens at the start. Yeah, and if we're buying it as an investment property, um, how good an idea is it to make sure that the rental income is going to be sufficient to cover the outgoings, including the interest costs, so that you're cash flow positive? Look, another great consideration comes back to why am I buying it? Um, And a great peace of mind is, is knowing that you've got a good rental yield that will cover the interest cost so that you can, again, accumulate capital and pay down the principal loan a lot faster. Or if you don't want to throw any additional money at it, if you can get the rent to cover the interest and associated expenses, it may be that you throw a little bit more in at the start because a tax deduction may not be your primary driver. It may be beneficial, but it may not be the the be-all and end-all of the decision that you make to buy the asset because you're going to hold something generally for an extended period of time. And I'm a big advocate of paying things off, um, regardless of the tax profile and the, the, the outcome. I find that people have multiple properties leading into retirement, which is great. But when retirement comes around and you stop working, you no longer need a tax deduction as such. You need the income from the asset to fund how you want to live. You can only achieve that by proactively paying it down over time. And at the moment, in a low interest rate environment, you can make some really good headroads into a debt uh, at very low interest rates. And you don't want to be looking back in, in, in four or five years going, oh, now it's at five. I wish I'd paid off more at two and a half. Mm. So what should people consider when they're setting up the loan? Yeah, I say, well, my first port of call is get a broker. I'm yet to deal with a bank that rings you up and says, oh, hi, I'm calling from ABC and X, Y, and Z have an amazing deal. <laughs> that generally doesn't happen. Um, you need to, to shop it around, and a broker can be the quickest and, and, and sharpest way of doing that, not only to the rate, but understanding the risk appetite that various lenders have. That could be impacted by your ability to earn, your income-to-debt ratio, your occupation, the industry that you're in. There can be different appetites at different banks, and a, and a broker will know who will take your type of job and the amount of debt that you want to carry against the income that you have, I'd think about putting your best foot forward. So, you know, rein your spending in for a period of time. If you're going to go and buy something and you know it's going to happen, maybe look at your discretionary spending and put forward your best foot to look as attractive as possible as getting the deal done at the bank. Have an exit strategy. How could I pay it off? Am I insured? Do I have income protection? If I lost my job, how long could I last with one income and not two? As you said before, does the rent cover the interest? Can I get it neutrally cash flowed, which would be which would be advantageous? Factor in the interest rates, as we said earlier. Make sure you understand what could happen if rates rise. Think about fixing some for peace of mind. Think about interest only for cash flow flexibility. Speak to your broker about the use of an offset account because they're very, very advantageous and I'm, I'm pro-offset account. Um, and think about the structure that you're going to buy it in. So am I buying it, as you said earlier, am I buying it in my own name? Am I buying it across two people? Am I buying it in my super fund? Am I buying it in my company? Am I buying it in my trust? Get the tax advice you need to be comfortable that the entities you want to use are set up correctly and you've got them set up in a way that will be advantageous for you going forwards. 
Fantastic. I'm chatting with Luke Smith from Envision Financial and today we're talking about how to set up my borrowings, fixed or variable, interest only or principal and interest and the various different decisions we need to make. So Luke, what are the key things to consider when we're looking to set up a loan? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd remember that the first thing I'd keep in mind is that interest only isn't a dirty word. An offset account allows you to pay that down as quickly as a principal and interest loan and potentially have some additional flexibilities in relation to cash flow. So don't don't be frightened by that. Have somebody explain the, the benefits of the structure and it's important that you understand what you're using and what you're doing. Um, fix part of it if it makes you feel good or it gives you some comfort around your cash flow for a period of time. It's maybe about understanding the changes that could happen and how that may affect your cash flow and limiting those variables. So maybe fix a portion you may not fix all if you're going to pay some of that asset off because if you fix everything, there's limited capacity to throw extra money at it. I'd allow for a rate rise in your budget. Put a one and a half, two percent 2%, be very prudent. Whilst people will argue it won't get there overnight, it, it, it will get there at some point. Um, use an offset account to maintain access to your capital so that if you do ever need to renovate, fix or improve the property, you can build up a bit of a buffer there as well. Um, and if you're looking to hold assets that are going to be a quasi-superannuation alternative or a combination with superannuation, look to pay them off and not just punt that the capital price is going up. Um, and importantly for the younger people is Facebook doesn't care how much money you borrow because Facebook doesn't pay off the loan. So don't get caught in the trap of trying to be an Instagram rock star uh, and then live on, on beans and rice to keep your 5000 Facebook friends happy in a home that you can't afford. Just stay within your budget, stay in your lane, try not to uh, chase the Joneses too much um, and do something that you can manage over the longer term considering all of those variables so that we don't get five years down the road and you lose your home because you, you can't make the interest payments. Yeah, you don't want to be trying to keep up with the Joneses. You want to be the Joneses and everybody else is trying to keep up with you. Well, it's more <laughs> about these days keeping up with the the Snydros and the Kivas and the, uh, the Thomases, you know, that, that's, that's the new benchmark these days. So, you know, you never know. Yeah, absolutely. I think probably the key takeout today has got to be see a broker because that's the best way you're going to get some assistance in navigating all of these difficult issues, isn't it? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm pro-broker um, because they have a, a huge knowledge base uh, and the good brokers out there can make the process far less painful uh, far more direct and give you some really valuable information around the structure, fixed, variable, budgeting, cash flow. They can help you with estimates. If I borrowed this much, how much would it cost? And you can go into it fully informed and, and learn a lot along the way so that if you're looking to try and become a property mogul, there's somebody that can give you the benefits of cheaper rates in the future, but also making sure you get your structures correct and, and take away that angst of paperwork because they do all the legwork for you. Yeah, and as somebody once said, there's always something that you don't know you don't know. Yeah, that was said <laughs> once or twice in the past, and um, it, it remains true to this day. Indeed. So I think it's, it's important. So, Luke, where do the listeners get more information? Yeah, so office number 62604749. Uh, we'll have one of the girls in the office from next week, although we won't be doing um, face-to-face appointments. Everything will be online, but it's, it's business as usual as it has been envisionfinancial.com.au that's Envision with an E that's our website and you can go to the Knowledge Centre there and subscribe to that for free and there's a library of calculators that people can use in that in that site 
We've got the podcast, the Strategy Stacker, Luke Talks Money on iTunes and Spotify. And we've also, people can subscribe to the YouTube channel so that you can watch the show on your phone, look at the key takeouts of the episode and, and not worry about reading anything. So there's a little something there for everybody. Indeed there is. Luke, thanks very much and we'll catch you again next Friday. See you next Friday.